Your organization is alive. You're not a machine. You're a living system. I'm Paul Miller and welcome to The Nature of Work, where we explore the people, practices and organizations who are bringing a new story of work to life. This podcast is hosted by myself and Shimreet James and is based on the book Nature of Work, A New Story of Work for a Living Age, written by myself and Shimreet and is produced by the Digital Workplace Group. For more information about the Nature of Work book, visit natureofwork.com. And if you'd like to bring this new story of work alive in your company, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com. So normally when I do it, I have my different phases. I research, I analyse, I structure, I do everything that I can to put off writing until I have no choice but to write. Um, Whereas this was a lot more fluid, I was kind of doing all of those things at the same time. Um, And it it was a great way of forcing me out of my comfort zone, I think. It's a little bit different today. Shimreet and I had the pleasure of talking about our book at the first ever Burford Literary Festival. Burford is a village that I live very close to in the Cotswolds and we gave a talk. It's quite a bit about how the book got written, the sort of story behind the book and a little bit of the reaction that we've had to the book. The audience seemed to find it pretty interesting. I hope you do too. Just to say before you listen to that is that we have our own Nature of Work experience event festival happening on November the 2nd to November the 4th, 2021. We've got three days. The first day is live from London. Second day is live from New York. And the third day is live from San Francisco. We feature a whole range of headline acts, such as Ryan Anderson from Herman Miller, Sarah Burbage from the BBC, Rosie Brown, who's the co-CEO of Cook, and Vodafone, the IMF, the list goes on and it's a it's a range of conversations interviews with some really interesting people looking at the way technology is regenerating organizations it's also looking at the role of rest in work uh, mental health how to get real work done at the bbc for example and half the time is also given over for community engagement, a chance to meet your peers around the world during the three days, November the 2nd, 3rd, 4th this year. And you can register for free. That's register for free at natureofwork.live. If you go to natureofwork.live, register for free, join the community, join the conversation and experience some really extraordinary content curated by the Digital Workplace Group and now for the Burford Literary Festival. So if it's okay with you, Shimreed and I are going to record the conversation and and release it as a podcast because we host a podcast called 
you guessed it, nature work. <laughs> um, so we, we thought we'd start off um, today just by setting a bit of context and explaining how we came to write the book and a bit about the process of, of writing this particular book. And, and please do um, have a look and pass the book around just because I think part of the story of the book is, is, the, um, is, the, is the design of it. So just sort of going back, um, as Shimreet says, um, I am the CEO of a consulting company called the Digital Workplace Group, and I've written various books around technology and work. There were books probably about 10 or 15 years about the idea of flexible working, hybrid working, the kind of shift of working, and, and, and things like that. Um, and probably a couple of years ago, Shimrit and I were talking about potentially writing another book together. And our um, first book uh, together. Yeah, sorry, yeah, writing sorry. our first book together. Yeah, and um, the the sort of obvious thing, having written books like the Digital Renaissance of Work and the Digital Workplace, was to do another more techie book, sort of technology on steroids, more AI, smart machines all of that and, and neither of us were very interested in writing something about that it felt like an important part of our future collectively but not one that felt like another another book and then what happened then what happened uh it was really interesting because we paul paul kind of approached me with the idea of the idea of an organization being alive um, inspired by walks in the woods and forests and feelings that he'd had taking in that environment and saying, well, how is this different to an organisation? How is a forest similar to an organisation? And so through conversation... I live in London, Paul lives around here, so through conversation over the phone and over videos, we explored that together, um, trying to think through the elements of a forest, the elements of nature, what does that mean if you take that story and apply it to an organisation? And how is that different to the stories we believe about work at the moment? So we quite quickly got into this, the history of work, things like industrialisation, um, the agrarian age before that, and the impact that those beliefs and stories have had on our experience of work. And what have we gained through that story and those beliefs, but also what have we lost in terms of exploitation, the impact on labour, the impact on the earth, and really what do we want to come next? And is there a different story that we can tell and be inspired by? And, and how did you feel about writing a book? Because this was your first book. It was my first book. It's a childhood dream. So I... My dad always jokes that I fell asleep cuddling books instead of teddy bears. He jokes it's uh, reality, <laughs> a joke but true. Um, so when Paul asked if I would be interested, it was a straight yes. I didn't even have to think. I, I knew I wanted to do it. Um, and so the feeling was one of excitement. I had no idea what to expect. I don't know if any of you have experienced writing before. It's a labour of love. Uh, you love it and hate it at the same time. Um, 
But yeah, it was a, a straight yes. Yeah, and, and I think a really important part, which I'm glad you're just sort of having a quick look over it, is that we really wanted to write a business book that didn't look like a business book. We wanted the book to look like um, a book about trees and nature, but actually was a book, a book about work and about organisations, because most business books just look like business books. Um, uh, and interestingly enough, the the previous book that I'd co-written with um, somebody else, we had a uh, normal kind of professional publisher and found that experience pretty disappointing. I remember the day that that previous book called The Digital Renaissance of Work, um, we opened up the kind of package, arrived and my heart sank. You know, it looked like a kind of more like a textbook. So Having been through that process twice, once with Random House and once with um, Taylor and Francis, we decided we wanted to publish it ourselves so we had full control over it because no publisher would go for this. The production costs are way too high. Um, trying to add in all of that photography, it, it just doesn't make sense for, to them. And then when they, then the, what they want to do then is basically use your marketing to help sell the book. So the idea of a... <clears throat> a book that was full of imagery uh, and had a different quality to it, hopefully, um, was really important to us, wasn't it? It was. We, we know that if you're telling a story, there's a visual element to that that can be really powerful. Um, we know that through film and through art. And so if we're trying to change up the stories that we live by for work the imagery of how you feel as you're taking in that story is a really key part of helping you be emerged in it. Immersed, sorry, not emerged. Yeah. How did you feel going to a self-published model, well, having done, like, just in terms of what did you learn from it or did anything surprise you from it? Um, well, I found it a relief and actually it's changed an awful lot in the 20 years that you know, self-publishing's been around. And I think what I, I... It means you've got to kind of fund the whole thing yourself and the production costs are much higher. However, if you want to create something that really is your vision, it's, it's a particular vision, and I think we did have that, then then I found it um, quite, quite a relief, yeah. So then we decided that we would form a team to create the book. I hope this is interesting, the process behind it, because... Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so what we... Um, so there's, there's two authors, so how do you deal with that? We also had a researcher on the book, somebody called Steve Bingle, who, and again, works for Digital Workplace Group and had work, worked on my three previous books. And the idea was that his role was to... <laughs> sort of do a tour of industry globally and find out what organisations like IKEA, Estee Lauder, Adobe, because what we wanted to do was pepper the book with examples of organisations who had aspects of this idea that organisations are not machines, they're living systems. So it's one thing to say you're not a factory, you're a forest, but then our idea is support it with research and examples um, one of my daughters says you can say anything you want so long as you've got an example of it 
it's so 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 Steve was really important then um, and Ali uh, my partner um, also uh, was there both as the editor but also um, as kind of director of photography weren't you weren't you yeah so so there was the, the, the four of us were working and and was that surprising to you Shim, that we were like a team writing a book? Yeah, so when I've written previously, it's been a very solo, hermit-like experience. Obviously, when I've worked doing reports for DWG previously, I've worked with Ali, who's an amazing editor for my writing. But it's very much just me writing and then sending over. So I think working with Paul, working with Ali and Steve, and we also had Elizabeth our director of research and her role was to challenge us (laughs) to challenge us so she she started off saying be bold and unapologetic in your ideas and it was a great mantra for us when we got lost but that forced me to approach my writing differently I Mm. think to what I'm used to so how would you have done it normally and how how did you approach the writing on this so normally when I do it I have my different phases I research I analyse I structure I do everything that I can to put off writing until I have no choice but to write Um, whereas this was a lot more fluid I was kind of doing all of those things at the same time Um, and it was it was a great way of forcing me out of my comfort zone I think with the writing how about you how did you find it we, we, we had a meeting, didn't we? The, the, the five of us, I think, we had Elizabeth there as Four well. Of us. Was it Elizabeth? Okay. Four of us. And, and so I like to see the whole structure. The, tw- the book's got 12 elements in it. How are we going to, if you like, map it out? And then what I like to do is go away and just write. So I went to a hotel near here called the Fish Hotel. Highly recommended, near Broadway. It's, it's a beautiful place. It's set in woods. And I would go for a night or two nights and I would just, I would just write. So, uh, and, and so long as I know that I'm trying to write about relationships in organisations, I'll then just start writing. And, and, and I found being just in that setting, in nature, almost... So when you're trying to write about organisational culture, one of the things we wanted to write about was the roots... You know, so you've got roots in a forest and you've also got roots in any organisation or any community. And they're things that you can't see, they're beneath the surface, but they affect the health of the system. So you see that, so it was trying to sort of um, uh, put that together. So I would write in, in bursts and then... The, we, were, we were working on uh, shared documents, weren't we? Yeah. We were... So you were in this beautiful environment. I was in a flat in North London, um, above a main road with sirens. Um, but I would play nature music while I was writing, hmm. actually, to help get oh, yeah. me into that environment. What sort of nature music? <laughs> Bird sounds, forest okay. sounds. Okay. Very often it helped me okay. get into the mindset of, of what we were trying to do. Um, and I think... We, we worked well. I mean, it was, it was the blending of our two different forms of writing. Yeah, we should probably set this in its time as well because I've just forgot. We, we met, we've got, so the idea, the first conversations were in April 2019 and we were working on the book. All the school kids have been on strike for climate change. There was an awful lot of sort of particular heightened focus um, 
around climate. Um, and, and then we had a planning in October. And of course, we're, we're writing and then the pandemic arrives. And we sort of, did we kind of pause or did we just carry on? No, we paused. Yeah. <laughs> we definitely paused because I think there was so much else going on around. I don't know how you all work or if you work, but a lot of people having to work remotely suddenly and being at home, I think our focus shifted to supporting people that because of our business. So we did pause briefly, but I think we also questioned, is this still relevant? And that was a big question for us. And what did we discover? The fact that you're holding the book and you're here, <laughs> that it was still relevant. Yeah, we decided if anything, it became more urgent to think through how an, the role of an organisation within society and how it's interconnected with community, with family, the impact that it has and the fact that we say an organisation is a living system, it's alive. I think the global pandemic paid truth to that in a, in a really essential way. Yeah, I mean, there were times where we were reading some of what we'd written, at particularly at the beginning you know, your organisation is alive, you, you are a living system. The human beings in your organisation have got vulnerabilities, uh, there's issues of health, and all of a sudden, everything's kind of falling apart. So it, it, it felt very relevant. And then we also were able to bring in some examples, as we have from places like Leon, who were then repurposing some of what they were doing and providing special streams of catering into the NHS... Um, examples like Kodak, who were then a company that, when I was growing up, were iconic and had disappeared pretty much, repurposed themselves, making drug ingredients and their share price going up 1,500%. This is the sort of stuff Steve Bingle was finding. And so we were able to bring some of those things in. And, I, and it was also really nice just having this project to focus on during the pandemic, the, the, big, the big year the big year. Is it, yeah. if it, is, I'm treating this year as slightly less big, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was. I think with everything that was going on outside, having this to focus on as... Because it's quite a hopeful story, I think. Mm. It's kind of exploring the art of the possible for work if we dream big. And to be immersed in research about forests and nature and the joy of beavers and the things that they can do... And to, to be, to kind of throw ourselves into that as well mm. and then think through what does that mean for us, what are the lessons that we can learn, um, felt like a nice form of escapism as well. Yeah, I'm also remembering, because in a, in a work setting, we had a meeting at, at Facebook in London in probably October 2019 with about 30 corporate organisations, and we did a, a session yeah. about the book, didn't we? I about that. Yeah, and, yeah, and we basically were sense-checking, are we going mad? You know, is people going to just say this is just the 60s sort of reimagined? Or, you know, um, and actually we got an awful lot of positive support from people in quite senior roles at Sky TV and IKEA, and they were saying, particularly, this is going to give us new language to use. And that was a big feature, wasn't it? The idea of uh, of, all, of, of people in roles in HR and strategy and change 
saying, actually, by talking about relationships, by talking about roots, by talking about purpose, some of these are the elements in the book. It was that was kind of we needed encouragement, didn't we? Yeah, we did. The troughs of doubt that you go through. <laughs> but I think, I think there's a great example, which is we talk about biodiversity as an example. So obviously, there's so much focus on diversity, inclusion, and belonging and equity at the moment after the Black Lives Matter movement and, and lots more Me Too and what that means for organisations. And lots of companies are trying to make the case and they do it in, in different ways. But then if you look to nature, and we know for the climate crisis the importance of biodiversity for health and what that means. So to take that story and use that as the, the language to then talk about why diversity in an organisation is important, it changes it up slightly and almost makes it easier to grasp the importance if you're approaching it for the first time. And that felt really powerful in that room. Mm. I mean, and so in the team, we also then added in new people. Like we added a project manager who's really ferocious called Lindsay. And, and she would have a meeting with us all every Monday. Terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay, if you're listening to this, we love you. We couldn't have done it without you. Yeah, so and she would, you know, just running through the tasks. So when when will I get actually get that? And, that and felt she, like a big lesson, actually. The importance of a project manager who can focus on the corralling you mm. and getting you through. Yeah, working back from design, yeah. production, and so on. It was really rewarding to have a project you could focus on that the pandemic couldn't really touch. You know, you know. So walking, you know, I, I was walking our dog Hector around Swinbrook and Fulbrook and each day thinking about things, thinking about nature, think, and then able to put the sort of energy into kind of creative process rather than uh, other things. Did you find it kind of grounding? Yes. I wasn't walking in woods. And <laughs> but uh, no, it was. It was. It was really useful. Like I, I can picture myself in the flat and where I was sitting... Um, and the few times I had to lie down to picture the next, kind of visualise the next bit of writing. And it um, it takes you out of the what's going on outside. Mm. Um, so maybe we should tell people just a little bit about the way the book's been received, because I think that's, that's quite interesting, because you've got really no idea until some, something comes out. And the first people who got very interested in it, and, and, and we've had different organisations of bought books and distributed them and asked one of them was Herman Miller they are a, a sort of workplace design very they've got a fantastic story going back 50 or 60 years um, uh, but they really latched onto the book because they were in the business of all of their clients were saying all the stuff that's now been talked about what's the new office going to be like will people go back to work where are they going to be working and they were ex so they they kind of picked up on it and and, and like the ideas around it um, and the other another organisation just to kind of give you a sense of it not everybody we probably deal with about 150 major organisations not all of them went this is amazing please it's been um, kind of drops here and there hasn't it probably a bit more there but one of them was the IMF. Um, we got contacted by they're already a client so we knew them but we got contacted by the deputy head of the IMF 
who is coming on this thing we've got in November called Nature Work Live, which is a three-day event based on the book. And he said, we want to give them to all the leadership in the IMF and can do a talk about it because basically we don't really know where we're going. We, we were set up after the Second World War and we had a mandate around financial stability. Frankly, our mandate's more around climate now and other issues and we don't really... And so they were... I think it kind of gave them a bit of a context with it. Yeah, I think one of the, the questions they had is how do we approach our people coming back into the office? They have such a history of being in person and that's how they collaborate. And obviously over the last 18 months they haven't had that, but they're now trying to balance what does the future mean. So for us to come in and to use the language of the book to be able to talk about habitats and what does a habitat mean, whether it's virtual or physical, if you take that and apply it to your organisation, you're not just talking about the office or the home, but actually what do we need from our environment as an individual to help us work, to help us feel safe, to help us collaborate. And it, it elevates the conversation a little bit to then be able to go, OK, what does that mean for us? And I think that they found really helpful in then approaching their people to have that conversation. Uh, yeah, and one of the other comments we were often getting was that the book was um, giving people hope and it felt quite calming. Um, and I think, you know, everything's very confused in the world generally. And it, it I think in an organisation it was seen as a not... It, it's not non, wholly non-political, but it's pretty non-political. Um, and I think it gave them a sort of vision of what... So they could talk about subjects like purpose, uh, structure, intelligence, threats in a, in a sort of broader context. Um, so one of the people we had on the podcast um, was Rosie Brown. She's the co-CEO of Cook, you know, the ready meals company. There are about 1,200 people. And, and that was really encouraging because she said this book is like our company. This, this, you know, where they're employing people who've been in prison, they're putting purpose before profit at times. But as they also say, if you don't make a profit, you can't deliver your purpose. And and so again, I think we've had encouragement. Have we had anybody who's hated it? Hates are really strong. Okay, dislikes. <laughs> um... I remember seeing some comments come through early on that challenged it a bit, but I may have repressed <laughs> what was actually said. I can't remember. I think it's if you if it resonates with you, people seem to really enjoy it and and bring it into themselves, but that's not everybody, but I've had friends who are hopefully not just um placating me but saying that my friends have never taken an interest in my work. They're not interested in the digital workplace at all. But this is something that they've understood really deeply um, and have been excited to learn about. And what, what are the interesting things, and we've heard, heard this from people who've uh, bought the book or uh, been given the book or whatever, is that their kids pick it up and they, they, they start looking through it. Sometimes they start talking to them about ecology and environment, and you start to realise that what they're getting taught at school is actually, you know, that they're, they're acquiring a lot of knowledge. And we also wanted, I think, a book that would um, t 
to say it's aimed at a sort of younger demographic we, is, is a bit too black and white, but there's a, there's a generation coming into work and in work that are, are really significantly different to the generation that I was part of. And they're looking for, for much more purpose, um, value. And, and this was pre-pandemic. The pandemic has, has accentuated that. And you've probably got examples. Um, we're even seeing it just in our own home because we've got a big building project going on. And the stories of some of the people working on the build, in the building, where, how they've changed their values from what they were doing as one guy was a hairdresser working you know, six days a week to eight o'clock at night, trying to make as much money as possible, now working as a builder and bricklayer and gets off at 3.30 and he and his partner can go and do things together. And I think there's there's quite a lot of different values coming out around work. Um, the yeah. generational thing mm. is really interesting because I, uh, when I entered work in my early 20s, it was just before the financial, or just as the financial crash was happening, but I wish I'd had a book like this. I know it sounds like I'm self but I wish I'd had a book like this to tell me how work could be and to some of the ideas around gender equality or diversity or relationships and the idea that it doesn't have to be a slog if the organisation doesn't create an environment where it is a slog. I wish I'd had those ideas within me when I entered the workforce. Mm. I mean, and... Perhaps selfish. One of the reasons why I wanted to write the book with you is that you know you're, you're a lot younger than me, <laughs> and you're a different gender, and you've got a different outlook. And I, I, I know, left to my own devices, you're going to get the ideas from one person of my generation and my situation. And I think um, the whole section around diversity, biodiversity, obviously. We had the Black Lives Matter happening while the book was being written as well. So um, uh, that was important. Maybe we should just have some um, questions or reflections or whatever. Uh, or, uh, I hope that was useful and interesting. Yeah, okay. Hi. Yes. Uh, my name's Carl Phillips. I'm an author of a new book called The Third Way, which expounds a lot of the things that um, kind of you've just mentioned. Right. I'm just starting my journey. Okay. So based on what you've done, what would you have done differently and where next? If I'm completely honest, I would have had, I would have loved to have had more time to research. But I think that's my one and it slows things down as well. Um, we did do research. It's, you know, it's, we've, all careful in what we were doing but I think that that would have been something I would have loved to have been able to do is is that so that's mine I think mm. um I don't think I've done anything differently actually I was it went exactly as I expected pretty wow. much the whole project um and and where next is is a lot of people have said to us, this is a big idea, it's more of a movement. Mm -hmm. That's. We also picked up an idea that was 30 years old. So people have been talking about the living company, the living organisations, and we reference all of them and say, oh, this book is not new, it's a different uh, rendition of it, maybe a different branding of it, which I think is important. 
but um, so we want to really let the idea have the time to kind of bed in. So we've launched a podcast based on the book. We've got um, a three-day event happening from London, New York, and San Francisco online only That's this free year. Online. Yep, yep, free. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Nature work live. Um, so, um, and we're trying to. At the moment, we're working on something called From Concept to Practice. So how do we take the ideas in the book and, and as somebody said in Prudential, while looking for a better word, operationalise it, which is a... But embed it. How do you take the, the, the ideas and bring them to life? So what does it mean? And one of the things, for example, we've been thinking about is, is looking at different um, practices that would be reflective of a nature work organisation. For example, interestingly, paying all your suppliers on time, on 30 days. Now, you'd say, well, why would, why would that be part? And that is because somebody's giving you their resources. Organisations traditionally have tried to stretch out payment terms so that their cash flow is as, as healthy and yours is as weak. But, you know, why, why operate like that? You know, so we're, we're trying to sort of um, embed it. What, what, what would you say is next? I think one of the things that we have a, a colleague, Nancy, um, who's a managing director of the firm, and she, she reminded me after the publication of the book that it's not the end of the conversation. Just because it's on the page, it doesn't mean the ideas are static. But actually through all the things that we're doing, including this, the, the ideas continue to evolve and live. So I think all the things, the podcast, the festival, this, continuing having conversations just means we get to develop the ideas further and challenge some of the ideas as well, I think, if needed. And then, um, it, yeah, it's bringing them to life. Can I ask a question? You told me I should read the book. No, 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 no. You don't have to. just ask if you could give a few examples of the insights that you've had as to how the world of nature can actually help people change and improve their business. Mm. I think regeneration is probably... um, So one of the elements is regeneration. Um, We talk, for example, about the idea of forest fire um, and the idea that actually, obviously the wildfires that are happening at the moment are, are devastating. Fire plays a role within nature of renewal and in, within a forest where it, it wipes everything away, but then also creates room for regrowth and regeneration. Um, and so if we were to take that idea of regeneration and apply it to an organisation, especially what's happened after COVID, you can either try and recapture what's happened in the past and go back to the past, or you can look to the future and say, how do we regenerate to be more resilient, to take on the things that we've learned, to adapt to the environment? And that's a much more strong way of approaching an organisation than to always be trying to recapture what has gone in the past. There's, um, I can't remember the name of the framework, the panicky framework, I think, which looks at that cycle of regeneration. And if you want to be stronger and more resilient as an organisation, you need to constantly be adapting to your external environment and your weaknesses and learning. And that's the concept of regeneration from, from nature. As well, so that's. Well, you, you also yourself mentioned the importance of roots. Yes. Mm. And, and in my experience, in business has been that um, 
actually increasingly reaching half a gone. Yeah. So the corporate memory that was around when I started working yeah. is ceasing to exist now. Yeah. So um, nature might also give you the idea of a kind of balance between Completely. not forgetting your roots, but also which if you read the book we talk about that in the roots element no it's it's exactly that i think we talk about roots as you know we have i can't remember that there's a fungal system that means that all trees are connected through their root system and it's how they communicate so we refer to that as an example of how communication and knowledge flows within an organization but it's also the heritage of the organization keeping it rooted so that and we i had a conversation with um the chief people officer from stella mccartney last week and I asked, how do you, how do you respond to, to change and to challenges and make sure that you're able to keep going? And she said, it's our, who we are at our hearts and our roots and our purpose and our values that keep us going and keep us grounded when everything else is in flux and it's still being able to adapt. So, yeah, roots and regeneration are two that go together really well in terms of the kind of flow and life cycle. And, and your point about roots is so key. And you know that, yes, in an organisational setting, they can forget where they've come from. But we all we know that any if a forest forgot its roots, disconnected from its roots, that's it. I mean, why would nature? Do? And, you know, in any community that forgets its roots or any, you know, and we see this kind of generally. So I, I think this is almost like a. Uh, call for organisations. I mean, BMW, uh, when they were 116 years old, and we quote them in the regeneration cycle, they they, they did a, a retrospective of the 116, but they also got the youngest people in the company to look forward 116 years, try to imagine what what industry are we really in? You know, are we... Uh, are we a car company? What, what does what does it mean? What is transportation going to look like? So I think this is where may, hopefully these concepts like roots, um, um, intelligence, um, life cycle. We talk about Nokia. You know, everybody knows them as a mobile phone company. They're, they they were started as a rubber mill on the Nokia River in Finland. They went through all of these iterations, then they got bought by Microsoft, then something else happened, and they just keep re-kind of vibing themselves. Um, so I think that's... Uh, and, and I also think the pandemic has kind of brought some of these questions more to the surface. What about the... Um, sorry. Yeah. Um, remote versus home working. Um. What is nature telling us about? It's a really good question. I'm doing a piece of research on hybrid working at the moment for DWG. Um, and I think it's a part of it is the importance of connection and the importance of relationships. I think the last 18 months, even though we've all been, or not all, if you're typically an office worker, you've been able to carry on working at home. If you're a frontline worker in a hospital or elsewhere it's obviously a very different story um but we've missed connection and so if we look to nature we have a, a whole element on relationships and what that means in different environments but i think it's shown us the importance of connection of relationships of trust and so as we now move into this next phase where people are more blended between remote and office and all that kind of thing it's it's making sure we don't forget the kind of connection social element and just focus on the work 
because I think that's still it's such a fundamental part of our experience of work is the relationships that we have with each other it's I think it's making sure that we don't forget that again so that would be my take yeah and we've got a, uh, one of the chapters on uh, on habitat so one of the things that we're saying to companies where they're trying to look at back to the office hybrid working is think about the habitat of your organization what's an individual's habitat a team habitat on a particular day everybody wants to be in their right habitat and i think one of the things that we've found during the pandemic because we always work very remotely anyway was actually we really saw the limitations of that way of working that you miss this wouldn't we rather have this than just online would you like other people's but yes but there's something fundamental to human nature does that mean people should go back to you know the grind of commuting not seeing their kids their you know no but 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 I don't I think it's going to be an important part of our working future to to have some level of human physical human connection yeah I, everything you talked about really resonates with me and um, my whole career has been about transformation change in um, large corporate organisations at the moment I'm um, transformation lead um, in Shell and obviously a lot of the energy companies are going to have to go through this huge change otherwise they won't be in business and um, I don't know if you've become a you know You've involved them in, in any of the examples, or I, I think that I think we have. We talk about we talk yeah. about Ari De Hoos, who was yeah was very significant yeah. um, person in Shell. Yeah. 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 But, if I remember, one of the elements starts off looking at energy companies yes. and raising the question of. I might be wrong, but I think we raised the question of uh, them seeking to change, but also potentially being part of the challenge in terms of historically yeah. um, we don't have an answer to that question I think but we do explore it I mean what I found is that they've actually been um, very forward thinking in you know talk about the art of the possible and they're really trying to do that with um, all levels of the organisation to enable that change to happen and I think the pandemic with um a lot of their teams anyway are sort of globally um, located. Um, so it's interesting about the nature of work because they do try and have a lot of things about well-being and health. And, um, so it's, it's interesting that whole language thing about oh. changing it um, because I don't think they could quite grasp the, you know, the power of language. And oh. Well, we've had 250 years of, of an industrial language. And, and to some extent, we, you know, it's probably only not really served us for the last 50 years. But for quite a long time, it really made quite a lot of sense. You know, increased prosperity, economic uh, progress, a, a certain kind of story of work. Um, some of the technologies it's produced but I think what we've then seen is the story started to collapse you know because of resource depletion the effect on the environment um, the leisure society we were supposed to get never arrived people just working harder and harder and so I think to some extent everybody's in that story 
and and we all are to some extent and the, this this different story is going to take some time but there's a there's a there is a kind of group of people who say a lot of the companies we cite in the book are part of the problem that's that's it you're part of the problem whereas i think we we like to think that that everybody has some part to play it's almost like we're all in an economic political and social system and and if you see some people as the problem and you as the solution you you don't really use the resources around you this was a debate that we've had Paul and I and um about what kind of organization to include who do we want to hold up mm. as an example who do we not want to hold up an example do we want to exclude anyone um we we debate about amazon quite a lot amazon aren't in the mm. book but um it's you've you've convinced me that actually it's it is that those organizations need to be part of the solution well, well you were sort of i was a bit harder you were saying basically sort of everything that amazon does is is a problem <laughs> I've 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 become more inclusive in my uh stance. And so. and all I was really all I was really saying was that Amazon also in terms of life cycle in terms of intelligence uh is very strong. So you can be strong in some aspects. I would say in pur- on on their purpose which we talk about the idea deeper they're very weak. And the action but you, so you, I think that's a bit like an individual, isn't it? You have some things that you're good at and some things not so good at. I yeah. To ask you, using a metaphor is always a really good um, aid to creativity. Hmm. But then often you can stretch it so far that it kind of. Hmm. Now, just wondering whether you you found look, looking at the book, it seems really great that you hmm. you managed to find ways to make it make it work mm. um, and does, does it have, have you been able to sort of test it in, you, you talked about a kind of workbook approach and sort of applying it to an organisation mm. where you actually take the, um, the individual examples of structure and habitat routes and so on and explore what it means in a particular mm. organisation does it, do, does it work you know, mm. as, as a sort of set of tools to think about it so one of the things that we've actually been doing this year, led by Helen Day, who's another managing director, is uh, we've formed two groups within DWG. There's the younger group and then there's the management group. Um, I don't know how else to refer to the group I'm part of. Say And each month, Helen leads a conversation separately with those two groups, taking an element and saying, what does this mean for DWG? And so Paul is in one group, I'm in the other. So I, we always kick off the conversation. I always start off with the, in, with the metaphor, saying this is what nature tells us about habitat relationships, whatever. And it helps it, what the other people in the group have said. It's hearing that story first helps them understand what we mean by the element. And it then leads to a really rich conversation about, OK, what does this mean for DWG? Um, so I think... You can't be so wedded to the metaphor that you, you're strict with it and you're rigid with it and you're saying it's definitely... We're definitely talking about habitats and we need to just... It's it's more a way into that deeper conversation about what does it mean for us. And that's worked really well. 
um, and is working with other organisations mm. that we, we've used it with as well. I mean, I'd say it, it's, it is, seems to be a helpful metaphor, but we've got to remember it's... Well, it's both a metaphor and something that we're saying quite literally. So we're saying there is the metaphor of nature... And if you look at um, the metaphor or the example of nature, it can inform the way you work. Um, Shell, Vodafone, um, IMF. Um, on the other hand, we're also saying you're not actually a machine, Shell. You're a living system of all the people, all the processes, and that you operate it like that. So what we're saying is that you don't need to become alive which the analogy we use is a bit like looking through a lens at, at a distant landscape that's out of focus. And as you start to focus it, it comes into focus. But the landscape was already there. So our, our thesis, I guess, is that you are alive. You just haven't really experienced yourself like that. Now, how that manifests itself inside Shell or Vodafone will be different. So their interpretation of relationship uh, or structure will be will be different but then that's and again that's where the metaphor then or the example starts to be helpful because one forest is not the same as another forest and um so so far it's it's actually one of the things we found is it, it's proved to be a very useful kind of i suppose conversation holder really i think there was some strands of metaphor that we rejected along the way. There the are definitely some things that once we tried to flesh them out. They, I can't remember what they yeah. were, but there were definitely some yeah. things that got yeah. rejected. Like and people remember people like Steve Burt Bingle was quite good at challenging stuff and sort of saying that just is too forced. It doesn't yeah. work. And it, that was partly because he was trying to find examples to support it and when he looked into it, it just mm. but that's just not strong enough as a as a concept. So hopefully the ones that made it through to the book. I'm, I'm not going to say that every single reference to a specific animal is as strong as they're, they're not all equally strong, probably. But the, the ones that we really felt were pushing it got done. So hopefully the ones that got through the cut are any of them. I think also we we realised we don't want to romanticise nature too much. So there's an element looking at threats, for example, because we know that nature, there can be a tendency to romanticise and to project our own beliefs onto it. So it's we've tried as far as possible to avoid that I as well. That's a, that's a really good point. Um, yeah. It seems to me uh, one of the things we've all sort of picked up on in the last 20 years is the interdependence of the biosphere yeah. and life. And it's the same with business, really, isn't it? Yeah. As you also said, yeah. you're all interlinked. But, but the way nature works is, is quite ruthless because yeah. if you don't adapt to your environment, you die out. And yeah. Another species comes along instead. Yeah. That's a pretty hard message to give to companies. And one of the things we found was the, the lifespan of organisations has dramatically decreased over time compared to 40 years ago as well. So the, the life expectancy of an organisation is much, much less than it was. You can read anything you want to into that. Maybe you could say that's a healthy thing. But, um, yeah. How do you respond what I would say is that if you look at nature, um, 
if you have one predator that's overly successful, what it will do is be so successful as a predator that it will actually destroy whatever it feeds off. And so that species dies out, they die out. So if you take, for example, with Amazon, that you can get to a certain level where nothing else can pretty much survive. And, and, and so nature actually doesn't tolerate that in both, both aspects. Now, what you see is a, a, a symbiosis. There's a level of capability, um, but you want that which you feed on and, and the, this idea of trophic cascade and, and so on. So to so a manager, I'd be saying you're looking for that kind of balance of relationships. So, for instance... You know, I, I don't know if they still do it, but Tesco used to squeeze all of its suppliers to the, you know, minutiae. Now, the, the, the shortness of thinking based on this idea is that you're not really promoting their health, but their health becomes part of your supply chain. And of course, at the moment, we've got the supply chain crisis. So I suspect the organisations that are probably doing the best are, are ones that have got the best relationships and the best networks and the best level of, of, of kind of connection. Um, I mean, we're certainly seeing it just in our own little building project because of the quality of, of connections that people have got. Um, it's, it, it's, it's sort of exhibiting it. Whereas people, if you've been kind of screwed down for years, there's no goodwill there to draw on. Um, but what do you think, Jim? Yeah, I agree. And I think it's, if you know, how, how do you approach a manager with that story of um, life and death? It's, I think this is why health is so important. We end on health as an element. And I think it's historically in the industrial model, it's about the bottom line. It's about shareholders maximising value. But actually, the, the, some of the reasons that an organisation dies, yes, it's to do with finance, but also a toxic culture. And all of those things can lead to the death of an organisation or, like you were saying, bad relationships with the community and all the rest. So if you take this expanded view of health that looks at that in a more holistic way, it's, if you're speaking with a manager, it helps raise and elevate the importance of some of those. They're often seen as softer elements, but they're important. Um, and it lets you have a conversation around them. Interestingly enough, we've been having what we call unplug sessions with about 20 different companies um, over the last few weeks. We started off with one on the nature of power, one on the nature of language, and, and we've had quite an interesting range of people from Adobe and um, uh, Verizon and HSBC, and, and we, we decided we'd have one on loss and grief and rites of passage and the idea that all of these organisations have experienced either direct loss because people have died or people in the company have had people close to them have died or things have just been lost and actually it was it was a pretty amazing session and and um, one person said he didn't want to come because he, he, he knew he was going to get too upset but they all actually were prepared to kind of enter that conversation is one of the things I feel that hasn't we haven't done as a society, as a culture, as a country, yet yeah, is is kind of ex, sort of mourn the loss of quite a lot of things. And if it had been a war, we would have. But 
we, you know, a lot of people have suffered and it hasn't really been brought out. Now, if you're um, any large organisation, it's kind of quite scary territory to go into. But uh, one thought I have is that if you don't experience the loss, you can't sort of clear the space for the future. Paul and I were talking about intergenerational... It's a fun morning walk. We were talking about intergenerational <laughs> trauma. Um, we talk about other things. Yeah. <laughs> but what that means for an organisation. Um, and how is this experience that we've all been through, how is that going to impact the culture of an organisation going forward? So future generations coming in, what's their experience going to be? Um, and it is to do with loss and rites of passage and life cycle. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much, everybody, for all your time and attention and for listening to us, and I hope you found it, enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Thank you. The Nature Work podcast is produced by the Digital Workplace Group a strategic partner and boutique consultancy supporting more than 100 leading companies and public institutions to advance their digital workplaces. For more information, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com. This is Paul Miller wishing you well until next time.